Welcome in, listeners, to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, and I'm joined once again by Nathan Questel. What is up, boys? Oh, you know, just my favorite things about Paris, drinking Cafe Noir, uh, smoking cigarettes outside of a cafe, and watching Marcus Rashford bang in late goals. Marcus in Paris, new Netflix show, probably better than the other Paris show they just released. <laughs> Was it something in someone in Paris? I Emily actually in Paris. Emily uh, in Paris. There we go. Have you guys not seen it? It's very popular on Netflix. Um, I have not. Oh, but yeah. Uh, it pretty bad. Rename the Parc des Princes the Parc des Rashford because uh, Manchester United once again late victors in Paris in the Champions League. Um, not heavily favored going into this one against PSG uh, for their opening group stage match. But again, uh, you know, Ollie proving people wrong with. Not uh, favored like they were slight favorites. Yeah, Polly, I was being sarcastic. Because we were not favored at all. In fact, I think Paris was sorry. Favored. Like, why? Like, that was a very like text. Like, you have a. You're using your voice. You can use tone. You can use the sarcastic tone. Use your inflections, this bro. This isn't like me writing a, something in the Slack channel. Like, you you can use tones here, and, and you just didn't. <laughs> all right, let me try again. Always fight. You took so long to get on the mic, bro. <laughs> this is your fault. I'm also just coming off of a show where it got turned around against me, like, very quickly. And I think it was simply because of a language barrier. Like, mm. you know, the example of our English isn't the same as your English. That's a Ted Lasso reference that Colin probably doesn't get. Um, and I think that's where it came from. Be a goldfish. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Manchester United uh, against the odds, uh, victors in Paris. Uh, initial thoughts. Um, yeah, so that felt pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, I will admit, uh, I got called out for it in the Slack channel. I was a little uh, antsy when I saw the team sheet um, and just kind of the way we were uh, positioned and form, you know, our, our shape was. But actually watching it in action, it ended up working out beautifully and you know you can listen to whatever pundit you want uh Polly's gonna probably go into it in just a second but i mean it was just the perfect setup by um by solshire and especially looking at the way paris were lined up against us weirdly enough you know you trot out fred and mctominay in the midfield but we had probably the better of the two midfields because they had guys out they did not have uh paredes they didn't have Verratti. Um, I mean, they were playing a Drissa Guillet, who has a lot of Premier League experience as a pretty good midfielder by all accounts. But, you know, it, having that combo of Fred McTominay, we were going to always outwork the Paris midfield. And we were going to make it so that way they could only play out wide. And then that ended up working out beautifully. Um, basically, if you were on Aaron Wan-Bissaka's side of the field, you didn't you didn't do anything. And then Axel Twanzebe was an incredible accent piece to that, too, playing center back. And so... We made things really uncomfortable for the way that I think Tuchel likes to set up and the way he wants his team to play. And then, you know, sure enough, they would start to commit numbers forward and then we would hit them on the break. Um, And then we grew comfortable in the game and all of a sudden we were starting to impose our will a little bit. So I think uh, that everything about that game was just like signature back against the wall, Ollie, and just it was it was great to watch. I very much I thoroughly enjoyed that game. 
and usually I, I get a little uncomfortable in like the last 10 minutes of those kinds of games, but I don't know. I just felt secure in it. I thought we just looked comfortable. Yeah, the, the organization was definitely there uh, defensively, and, you know, the midfield did a job, and Ollie, you know, conscious of the talent that he had on the bench, brought it on and used it spectacularly and ended up getting us the win. But even before that, you know, this wasn't a Manchester United team that just parked the bus. You know, they they didn't let PSG dominate and dictate the game, even in the first half, when it seemed like that's what was going to happen looking at this team sheet. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about personnel, too, I, I've seen a lot of people already try and jump out and kind of defend a little bit. And they're like, hey, look at all these players that Paris were missing. You know, they didn't have Marquinhos, they didn't have Paredes, they didn't have Verratti. Like, this would have been such a different game if those people played. And I just want to remind you, too, that Axel Twanzebe hadn't played in over 10 months, and that was his first full full match. Um, we decided to give Alex Tellez his debut. Um and the Fred McTominay midfield is not something that has been playing regularly recently either. I mean, there was a lot of changes that Ollie made and that shows, you know, his ability as a man manager. Like he just had the confidence in those guys and they, they played for him. Yeah, I get why he went with the back three. I totally get it. Like before the game, I think there was no choice but to go with it. You you did not know that. Axel Twanzebi was going to give you a 10 out of 10 performance. There was no way you could know that. Even if he gives you 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10. I think you need to go to the back three, you know, as a precaution. Um, and he had a very good, he had a very good plan because it worked. His, his plan worked. He got the win. I... What's the best way to say this? I don't think it was the yeah. I don't think it was the perfect plan, and I think within within ten minutes of that game kicking off, it was very apparent that we were giving PSG too much respect. And maybe that is maybe we were you know maybe there is some truth to the they were missing players etc. But like, it's it's one thing for Thomas Tuchel to get the team sheet. And look and be like, wow, no Pogba, no Van de Beek, like no, no Mason, uh, Mason Greenwood didn't travel. But like to look at the team sheet and be like, these, you know, they're playing McTo- no Matic. You know, we knew Verratti wasn't playing. We knew all those guys were out. So within 10 minutes, it was clear that like we were the better team and we were just giving them too much respect. They had the better players. They have Mbappe, they have Neymar, they have Di Maria. That is... Those are three scary prospects. Um, but everybody, you know, the, the problem is like this back three can get you pinned back quickly. And the whole thing, and, and this is what Solskjaer did when he came in, was instead, like when he came in and United were leaking goals in the back, um, how do you fix that? You know, Mourinho was, you sit back and you bring your midfielders back to help your defenders. And Ollie was, well... Let's just defend higher up the pitch so that you don't get close to our goal. And, you know, occasionally you'll get through, but, like, we'll hopefully recover and then we'll call on De Gea. So United are never going to, like, you know, there's a way, like, Sir Alex Ferguson had counterattacking teams, too. Like, you know, he won the Champions League with a team whose main tactic was to hit you on the counterattack. They didn't park the bus. They just, they let you cross midfield and then they played compact, won the ball back and sprung an attack. And that's exactly what Ollie's team 
does too. Like they play very compact. There's not a lot of room between Martial and Harry Maguire in a regular game, you know, from the forward to the defense. So in this game, very quickly, when you first read the team sheet and you're like, wow, he left Fonda Bake out again. Oh, there's no Pogba. Like what's he doing with McTominay and Fred? But it was very clear, like right away, like, oh, this is what he wants to do. Like he wants the midfield to do a job. He wants them to run around, run really hard, be disruptors. Um, and that's what he wants. Make PSG's life miserable. You know, we're going to chase down every ball. We're not going to give you any time. We're not going to let you do what you want to do. You know, when you get the ball and you, you say, here's what I want to do. And if that's not going to work, I have option two. We wanted to make sure that every single time you got the ball, it was option two. And the two best players that United have to do that job are McTominay and Fred. So like, you know, maybe I was thinking maybe like he'll put in Matic for that defensive stability. And then Pogba is good defensively and, and he could hit you with these passes if you want to spring a counter from there. But like when I saw McTominay and Fred, I was like, okay, yeah, this makes sense too. They're going to, they're out there to do this job and they, they did it. But right away, it just, when they were doing that job, it just felt like United were one player short in the attack. Uh, They were missing an attacking player. And if they had an attacking player, because they were really playing like a seven, three, it was, you had your back three, Tellez, Juan Basaka, McTominay, Fred, and then up top you had Fernandez, Martial, Rashford, and it just felt like they were just missing that player to link them, and that's exactly what Pogba did in the second half. And it, and it, it, in those attacking instances as well, they were looking for that other player. It, it wasn't, you know, maybe a, a couple situations with Rashford, especially he should have taken the initiative and you know had a go at goal, but they were looking for that other player, that other piece in the attack going forward. Yeah, exactly. And so like this game was just there for the taking and it was like, we're not taking it. So like, yeah, at the, at the end of the day, we won the game, which is great. Fantastic. Amazing. It was a great feeling, especially the way we won it. How can you not feel good about that? But it would have like going into the game. I, you know, I said, cause everybody wasn't feeling that optimistic about it. And, you know, they're to, oh, we're missing players. And it's like, you know, the difference between this and two years, like two years ago, we needed to win by two. And it was improbable. Like, you know, and I I, I remember saying when we, we went one nil up and PSG equalized. And my reaction was, let's be honest, we were never going to win this game in extra time. Like this lineup with the subs that we have available to play an extra 30 minutes, like PSG would have picked us apart. So, like, we always needed to score three goals in this. We were always going to need to score three goals. So I went, so this goal means nothing. Like, it doesn't change anything. So, like, that made it even more improbable. In this game, 1-1. Oh, wow. You went to Paris in the first group stage game and got a 1-1 draw. That's fine. Like, that's a great result. So, like, we didn't even have to win. But at the end of the day, I would have been really annoyed if they didn't win because this game was very much there for the taking. And, and this is my problem, like, with the back three, everybody loves it. Like, and we've gotten some great results and everybody wants to see it. Like Marcel and Rashford are not split strikers. They can't, everybody wants them to play split strikers because Rooney and Tevez, we remember Rooney and Tevez running around like, but that's not them. They, they, they do not play that way. And when we play with this back three and split strikers, we don't score goals. 
We did it a bunch of times last year. I could tell you exactly how many goals we scored from open play. Rashford versus Liverpool, Martial versus Chelsea, McTominay when Ederson threw him the ball and left the goal open. So we're relying on getting a penalty or scoring on a set piece, which we're not exactly the best team at scoring on set pieces. So you get that goal from a penalty, but the margin of error is like so slim now because we just, we weren't creating great chances. I'm like, you know, and part of that was Rashford making poor decisions on the ball, which is frustrating because it's, this wasn't like a, oh, he was unusually poor in that regard last night. You know, he was making bad decisions on the ball Wednesday, uh, Saturday against Newcastle. He's been making bad decisions on the ball all season. He's been making bad decisions on the ball uh, last season. Like, that's, it's an area that needs to improve, and he just his awareness is not improving at a rate that's really fast enough. So you get this one goal, like it just left the margin for error so small, and that's exactly what happened. An error happened. Martial had a brilliant goal that he just scored on the wrong end. And like luckily we were able to pull ourselves out of it. But yeah, like yeah, I, it would have been really – Annoying to not win this game because it was there for the taking and we were the better team. And it, and I thought we gave too much respect to them. I, I was in a group text with um, Mark, who writes for the Liverpool offside, and Colton, who's a, another Manchester United fan. Um, and after the Martial goal, I texted them that we sh- I felt like we should have been 2-0 up at that point uh, before Martial even made that error. And Mark pointed out that our XG at that point was only 0.56. Yeah, and it, it, it was good. It was because those chances that were in the back of our mind that, you know, we should have scored those didn't even turn into shots. Um, right. Rashford blowing by them on the right, like getting that ball and first touch trying to play in Martial, who it's a two on one. And it wasn't even like the defender was playing the pass. The defender was playing Martial. Like he gave you everything. And Mar- like, what are you doing there, Rashford? And then it happened again. Like, you're right. Like it, it wasn't even turning into shots. And people said that in the first half. They're like, we should be two nil up here. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, De Gea has also made, like, some incredible saves. So, like, if you want to, like, oh, right. Kieran Navas made this amazing save that Rashford should have finished, it's like, well, then you got to count the ones on the other end, too. Yeah, and uh, I think Bruno had another chance to run goal. It was after the, the Martial own goal, though, when Bruno really should have buried it, and he tried to play it across to Martial. But yeah. at, at the same time, though, this is, it felt like at least an encouraging performance from a team that's still growing into itself and especially it felt like a positive performance from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because in the wake of you know last week speaking about the international break and all the media focus on him and Mauricio Pochettino and then Ole comes out with two games where his lineups get torn apart pre-game and he ends up getting the result that he wants it doesn't necessarily go the way of you know dominating a football game but We've scored six goals in these past two games, and the only goals we've conceded have been own goal errors. So I, I'm taking this as a very big positive. Yeah, Con, you're 100% right. Like, it's it's a big positive, and, and especially the—and I'll talk about the way we won in a minute, but just the fact that, like, you know, I, I said it against Brighton when he, when he brought on Bailly against Brighton, and he switched to the back five. And all of a sudden, every, no one really, most of the players didn't really know where, they, like, Bruno left his man open a million times. He didn't know, he looked like he didn't know where he was supposed to be. And on that goal, he on the equalizer, he leaves his man wide open. Then against Tottenham, I mean, yeah, you go down to 10 men, but even after, like, making changes and speaking to players at halftime, even in the second half, 
they didn't look like they knew where to be. So then in Newcastle, they were very organized. And then today they were, or Wednesday, Tuesday in Paris, very organized. So like that right there is a, a very positive sign. And then you look at it like uh, Juan Basaka was incredible. David De Gea was incredible. A- Axel Tonzebi was incredible. Victor Lindelof was incredible. Luke Shaw was very good. Fred McTominay, they were incredible. Um, like th- there's a lot of positive to take from that. I, like, I will say this, though, uh, and this is what got me in hot water on, like, the other shows. I was more impressed by McTominay playing well against Newcastle than I was by McTominay playing well against PSG. Because this was a game – like, this is what I've always been saying about McTominay. This is the game for him. Yeah, this like, – uh, and even last time in Paris, you know, he's a guy that buys into the occasion, I think. More who, was our, who was our midfield last time, in, last time in Paris? McTominay and Fred. Who was our midfield at the Etihad last year? McTominay and Fred. Like, uh, like these big games, McTominay and Fred thriving. They thrive. So, like, they did, like, like against Newcastle, I saw that team shit, and I went, what are we doing? But against PSG, it was like, yeah, no, this makes sense. And, like, and show it to me again on, on Saturday against Chelsea, because I don't know if I said it on this show, but, like, I said it, I had written about it. I said, you know, McTominay 100% should be in the team either against PSG and or Chelsea, like at, at the very least one of those games, um, because this is the game for him. And the the most positive thing to come out of this is that we scored in the 87th minute. And that is the second game in a row where we have scored a winner in the 85th minute or later. And last year we didn't do that last year. When we conceded the first goal, we won twice. And I said that Saturday game against Newcastle, if that happened last year, especially get like, we're coming off a six, one loss and we give up a fluke on goal two minutes into the game, our heads would have dropped and that would have been it. But they didn't, we, we got back in it. We got one goal, but like the second goal took a while to come, but we never, Last year, a lot of times you would see players try to do it all themselves as the game wore on, and that would be bad. Like this, way, this was those Fergie teams always had that belief of like keep playing your game, the chance will come. And the only way to get that belief, to constantly have that belief, is experience. Like Fergie's team had plenty of experience. They also it, they went through it a, a lot. We haven't. We've had. Chant, like experience being in a late game, like in a one-one game that shouldn't be one-one. We don't score. The only way you're going to do it is if you do it and and gather that belief. So the fact that they did it two days in a row, two games in a row, is is huge. Like that. Now this team will start believing when things aren't going their way. And by not going their way, I don't mean getting outplayed. I mean you're the dominant team and you're just not putting the ball in the net. You know, like Sevilla in the Europa League semifinal like we were the dominant team we just weren't putting the ball in the net you maintain that belief hey what we're doing is working keep doing this our chance will come we'll put it in the net to do that two games in a row is massive right and yeah massive games coming up uh for manchester united still uh chelsea this weekend and then rb leipzig in the champions league next week uh so another right i think that one is actually on wednesday uh, so we'll have a couple days rest in between. But do you guys think that tactically Ale would need to shake things up again for Chelsea? Uh, I mean, 
this back three would probably inspire more confidence than the back three in the FA Cup semifinal. I mean, this is also a totally different situation going against Chelsea, but this is potentially a game that Chelsea will be desperate to win as well, which would mean that they'll open themselves up a little bit, uh, you know, and their defense is not exactly the greatest in the Premier League right now. Uh, they did have a nil-nil draw against Sevilla, but uh, I, I haven't had a chance to see the game. But from everything I've heard, it, it was just Sevilla not playing very well offensively. Um, I, I mean, from what I heard, it was like Chelsea scaling back their attack to focus on defending so that they can keep a clean sheet. And, but I, I don't really expect them to do that against us. No. I, w- I would expect them to try and go all out for this. Do you guys think that we go back three again? I, I, obviously, it depends, it depends on whether Maguire is healthy as well, but um, it seems as though at least the structure of this, especially with Axel Twenzebe in the side, um, would work out, and I think Axel is probably earned more minutes at this point. Um, I mean, it wouldn't shock me just because of the way it works, but I, I, I do think that he probably wants to go back to you know, maybe a more quote-unquote traditional, you know, Ollie setup for maybe the Premier League versus... Because it's... It, we only ever see this lineup, it seems like, every, you know, couple months when it's, like, a particular game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we saw a, a back line, you know, a, a four-man back line, but maybe we do see Teles start. Maybe we do see then... Um, if Twans is all set to go, I don't, I don't see why he doesn't run it back with him. Um, especially knowing the athleticism that's going to be coming at him from the Chelsea side of things. I think Twan Zabie might be the shot in the arm that the defense has really been needing. And, you know, God forbid, maybe Harry Maguire taking a week off and not having to go to Paris and get himself in trouble maybe with the Parisian officials um, is going to be really important. You think so lowly of everybody. But, you know, it's the one nice thing is that so your captain got a rest. So if he plays, I'm a little bit more comfortable with that. Plus, you know, Maybe him getting a goal in the Newcastle game kind of shakes him up a little bit, too. And he's like, all right, see, I can play better. Um, but right now, I have some confidence based on how the team has played in the last two games. I mean, Lindelof looked pretty good yesterday. So I I don't hate the way we're going to probably set up in the back line. Obviously, Aaron Wan-Bissaka is going to start. Um, he's amazing. He's the opposite of Martial. He gets caught cheating, and he plays better. Um so he, now, like, Martial needs to learn from him. Um, I, I think you probably do see Pogba start in this game. Um, wouldn't be surprised maybe if we see Fred McTominay try to back out, too. So I, I, I think we'll go four-man back line. The, the three or the five in the back, depending on how you want to look at it, um, two games in a row. I, I, but... With the challenge that Chelsea presents, I'm not scared of their defense. I'm still not scared of that defense at all. I don't care if they pitch a clean sheet against Sevilla. They let three goals up against Southampton um, also in the last four days. So um, I think we can take a lot of the things that we do well. We can shore up the defense, play well with that four-man back line, and then hit them with numbers on the front. Martial will be back in the lineup. No, he won't. Um, yeah. Uh, still serving? Out. Yeah. yeah, he's he's going to be out for two more, including this Chelsea one. So things offensively will look different with Cavani. Um, Dude, I don't think Cavani started. It. This is really- <laughs> um, you know, I would be not shocked, but extremely disappointed if they kept the back three for this game because it's 
you know, again, like it just it seemed like you gave PSG too much respect. And you look at the games last year where we went to a back three. Every single one of them was because either Rashford or Martial were unavailable. And the issue was, if one of them is unavailable, we got to put the other one in the middle. And then, you know, who's playing out on the left? Uh, or, you know, if Rashford's unavailable, like, who's on the left? And Martial was drifting to the left. So we went to this back three, also because it's Liverpool. Like, so what we do? We pushed our fullbacks high up the pitch so that we'd pressure Robertson and Alexander-Arnold well before they could get the ball in the final third. You know, cut off the supply line before the supply line becomes dangerous. We did it against Chelsea in the in the League Cup because Martial was not available. Um, but also, or I think Martial was like recovering from an injury, so I think they were resting him. But you go if you want to go to your regular four-two-three-one. Um, who, you know who's playing there? Like who who do you put on the right or on the on the right wing without Martial available? Uh, you know, we didn't have Bruno Fernandez back then. Uh, we didn't have Paul Pogba available. You go, you look at the next Chelsea game in February. So we have Bruno Fernandez. Marcus Rashford was hurt. Um, but again, who would slot in on the right? You, you put Dan James on the left, but like who's going on the right? You look at the best games where we counterattacked. Chelsea at home, 4-0 win. Uh, City away at the Etihad. That, that first half hour was like a counterattacking masterpiece and that came with the back four like everybody says oh we're gonna play with the back three sit back and try to hit one on counter but we don't counter with that back three. yeah we scored against liverpool on the counter but that's you know again three goals from open play with that back three. so like where are where's your where's your attack coming from especially now that you have von de Beek as an option you have paul pogba as an option you have bruno fernandez as an option it it just seems too overly defensive to do to go to a back three when when you saw against PSG how we were missing that one player to link everything up and Chelsea are a team that are just so ripe to be taken on the on the on the counterattack so like just settle into a back four I don't know if I go to Tellez because Shaw is very good at like cleaning up behind the center backs like it, it happens a lot when we play in the back three because he is a center back and he just slot then he just swoops behind Lindelof Maguire and, and cleans up balls that get through them. But he does it a lot as a left back too. Um, Tellez getting forward, not to sound too controversial, and I say this with the huge caveat here of, with the exception of the corners, Alex Tellez did not impress me much uh, on Tuesday night. I thought when he got forward, his only instinct was boom a cross in. And then, it, and then he'd look up and he'd be like, oh, right, it's Marcial and Rashford. Like, that's not going to work. So he'd either play a square ball or a backwards pass. Or he'd boom the cross in anyway, which didn't work. So you, I, I can't see them starting Cavani because he hasn't played in a million months. So, like, I could see him playing 20 minutes. And certainly you bring on Cavani off the bench. You, you definitely think about bringing Alex Tellez off the bench because that's a different dimension. Yeah. So when, the, when those two both continue to get more blood into the squad, I mean, it, from what you were seeing with Tellez, and I mean, clearly he does have a talent for crossing the ball, and we're seeing Aaron Wan-Bissaka even grow, continue to grow with his crosses. Um, 
you know, if we find ourselves starting Cavani up front or if Cavani's at 65th, 75th minute sub, do you do you feel confident then with that setup of we've got two fullbacks who can bomb balls into the box to Cavani? Like this is a this is a this is a plan B that works. So, like, I don't like the term plan B because it's so associated with Fellaini. And it's and, expensive. Yeah, it's true. But it's so associated with Fellaini. When, and when Fellaini came on, the plan was just boom it high to Fellaini. And it's like, hey, there's 10 other players on the field like where that doesn't suit their game. So, like, this, if it, let's say you don't start Cavani and you don't start Tellez. You could bring them both off the bench, and it's not so much a plan B so much as a plan 1A because you could still play the way that United play their best, but it, you're not one-dimensional anymore. Like, there are other aspects in here. And, like, again, like, Tellez, those corner kicks, like, where he showed, like, when we thought Bruno Fernandez was a better delivery of the ball, and, like, Bruno's the same as everybody else, a little bit better. Tellez is on another planet with what he was doing. Like uh, even without Maguire, it seemed like we would score on a few of those corners. He put them used. right on everybody's head, and it was just like, damn! Like now, imagine instead of crossing, instead of whipping a corner into Martial, Rashford, and McTominay, he's whipping a cross in. He's whipping a corner into Cavani, Maguire, and Pogba. Like that is dangerous. Yeah, especially with uh, Pogba. I mean, he is so good in the air. It, it it's very very tantalizing. And like on a corner, like you've got to put your best two guys. You got to put your best two aerial defenders on Cavani and Maguire. So like Pogba is going to get a mismatch here. Or yeah. even on a breakaway. I mean, it, Pogba and Cavani giving him that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I I mean, obviously having Tellez in a back four leaves you a little bit open more on that side of the pitch. And I think Christian Pulisic would probably. You know, it, at least me makes a bit makes me a bit more afraid than maybe Angel Di Maria does. But I, I think that's a risk worth taking if if you're going to have a striker. It's Kai Havertz that'll be there. Like Pulisic, I'm not worried about because you're going to have to go up against a certain Juan Bissaka. Um, so well, that's they've a- been playing uh, the last couple of games at least. They've been putting Mason Mount on the left wing, and I know that their midfield kind of interchanges and does a lot of weird things during the they match. They don't but. really know what they're doing to begin with. Um, well, as we know from Instagram, Christian Pulisic definitely on the right wing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Zinger. <laughs> no, maybe not. Maybe he just doesn't. Maybe he's just like, I'm taking the side of like, yeah, like us people who make a lot of money, we don't like to pay a lot of taxes. Uh, I'll well, give Frank him the benefit. I've lived in Hershey. Frank Lampard. I know I'm, what it's I'm like. not going to say he's a full-on Erling Brute Holland. <laughs> Frank Lampard yeah. is a Tory, so. That's not surprising either because people that make a lot of money don't like to pay taxes. Um, it's, I, I, I just – my only concern is like Axel hasn't played since – you know, he played one U23 game in March and his last senior game was in December where he only made it 65 minutes before having to come off. Can he recover from this game where he had to work very hard and be ready to go against Chelsea – because if he if he can, he has to start. You got to start him because he's got the pace to deal with Timo Werner. And if I mean, so, that man erased possibly the best striker in the world from yeah. the game. Like if he if he's healthy, which is always a big if with him. But like if if everybody feels comfortable playing him on this weekend, like that would be so sweet to see him come back after that Paris performance. And if he puts you know Werner and or Havertz and or Pulisic in his pocket, like. Yeah, if Ollie wants to work who? Maguire and Maguire's fit again, like, fine. I mean, 
you just saw that Lindelof and, and Twanzebi can get the job done. But if she wants to be loyal to McGuire, like, it's got to be at the expense of, Lind- of Lindelof. Unless Axel's not ready to play, and we really won't know the truth there. Wait, because Solskjaer, especially when it comes to his defenders, he will always be like the extreme cautious one. And he'll, he'll probably, if he starts McGuire and Lindelof, even if Axel's ready to go, he'll be like, well, he just played his first game in how long? Like, we didn't want to, you know, give him too much too much there but like to me you have to go with the back four i put i i stick with fred and mctominay and then i just bring pogba in and do exactly what i said last week like you bring fernandez into the juan mata role so he's going to drop into midfield pogba will drop into midfield too and you know they'll interchange fred fernandez drops into midfield he passed to pogba he goes forward pogba drops into midfield fernandez goes forward i'm like there's your link up and you know if you wanted to play Tellers, I'd say play him on the left wing. But again, like, who are you crossing the ball to? Rashford? Like, you know, Mason Greenwood's probably not available because he hasn't even been in the match day squad the last two games. I would think there's something there, more like Solskjaer teaching him a lesson. So I would, I would really think long and hard about bringing Dan James in on that left wing. He played there last against Newcastle. He played very well, but he's a player that gets back defensively. Uh, if you want to play Pogba, like, up again as Pilquetta. Yeah, but he tracks back very well. He's a very good defensive forward, and he, and th- that doesn't take away from his ability to catch. He's very good on the counter, which is what you would want to do. Like he, you know, you play him in the space because as Pilquetta gets forward, there's space behind there, and Dan James can run into that and exploit it. Like so, I I would really think about playing him there. I just don't go into this and concede that Chelsea are better than you like again like what i said at the beginning of this like when we played the back three last year it was always because you know rashford or marcial were hurt and like we knew this is a tough game like these are tough teams and with the players available to that we have like we have to acknowledge the fact that they're better than us but right now we don't and otherwise i you wonder where the goals are going to come from so if we more similarly uh to how we played against newcastle as opposed to paris um do you anticipate we start Juan Mata, or uh, who would you rather see on the right wing if not Juan I'd Mata? I'd rather see Bruno. Just because, like, Mata's, Mata's very good positionally, defensively, and everything. It's just he lacks the pace, so, like, the recovery pace, if it's there. But, like, Bruno would be there. And, like, and think about the end of... Well, who would we play at the 10, then? You'd play Pogba there. And, and okay. it'd be kind of this this 4-3-3 that could also turn into a diamond at the end of the, like the way played at the end of this game, which like everybody says we played a diamond at the end of this game. Like it was like a rhombus kind of thing. Like McTominay and Fred. It looked kind of like a 4-2-2-2. Exactly. That's really more what it was. McTominay and Fred were like sitting flat together. Ogbo was almost a left winger at times. Right. So you could do that. Like, you know, James and, or if you want to start Greenwood, you know, up top, you could start Greenwood on the right and Fernandez on the left. When Donny van de Beek came into the game against uh, Newcastle, he went to number 10 and Fernandez went to the left wing. And when Matic came in, Pogba moved to number 10 and van de Beek went to the right wing. So you could play them. There. Um, and you could play this formation that shifts between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3 with Pogba on the left of that three. Or, you know, that 4-2-2-2 or the or the diamond with Pogba, you know, Greenwood coming more centrally. Like there's a lot you could do. I just, 
you want to have that industry of Fred and McTominay, but you want that extra attacking player in there because it was there for the taking. Like you don't want to sit there and admit that Chelsea and give Chelsea all this respect that they're better than you because they're not. And they are fresh for the taking. Something that we need to remember to, uh, I mean, we beat these guys season, right? The, the, the semifinal is what sticks to the memory because it's what happened most recently. But, you know, we, we were talking about that matchup as Ollie has these guys' number. And uh, he's always been a manager for the big game since he's been at Manchester United. And we kind of went into that game as favorites versus now it's the other way. Like, we're back to the, like, oh, Chelsea are going to be tough. Right, I think- but Chelsea are, are kind of in a weird situation, too. Like, I mean, they, they've only lost one game in the Premier League this season. But, you know, again, we're only four or five games into this. I mean, they have eight points, which is only two more than us, and they've conceded a ton of goals as well. You look at our fan base, and, like, they'll forget that right away. They're like, Windelhoff, oh, Timo Werner, like, that'll be a disaster. You know, like, they only want to see our ne- – like, our fan base will only look at our negatives and see how that'll be exploited, whether it makes sense or not. Like I was saying last week, people were saying, oh, if Luke Shaw plays instead of Alex Tellez, like – St. Max, uh, Maximin, uh, Maximin is going to have a field day. And it's like, dude, they play on the other side of the field. And, like, we kept St. Maximin incredibly quiet. Like, you know, oh, my God, how are we going to, you know, Mbappe and Neymar running at Lindelof, like, and Shaw? Like, you know, there's a reason that, like, we still had a very, very, very good defense last year. Conceded three goals fewer than the best team in the league. And that was with a goalkeeper who made error after error after error. They were pretty good. And this year they're off to a bad start. But what yeah, team, I mean, what team is playing good defense? But, right? but worth noting that, you know, the keeper that made errors last season is not really doing that this season. I mean, he, he still let a lot of goals in, but they yeah, weren't really his fault. his fault. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible how you can be sitting here like, He's played, what, five games, and he's conceded, what, like 17 goals, and none of them are his fault. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, David De Gea, right? But, like, David De Gea looked like David De Gea last night, so you're already seeing yeah. the Henderson effect. Well, it, and, and so the whole thing with Chelsea, too, because I think what Polly's getting at is uh, we shouldn't be scared of Chelsea. Um, I'm inclined to agree as well. They just, I mean, they don't look exactly like world beaters the way people talk about them, you know, because they spend all this money and obviously they have two of the most exciting German talents on their team. Um, they have the most exciting American player in a generation. Um, they've clearly invested a lot of money in their offense, but, huh? Urena? Or that 17 year old kid that's playing for the Red Bulls? Or. <laughs> well,. That's a whole different thing. I, I tweeted about that yesterday about how we should just go ahead and just sell the naming rights to Old Trafford so we can get Reina, Sancho, and Holland. But um, they you know, have I, I mean, Zardes. <laughs> Golasi Zardes. Um, I mean, right now, if you look at Chelsea's record, I mean, it's not exactly like they're blowing people out. If you take that uh, 4-0 win against Crystal Palace, which obviously since we lost to Crystal Crystal Palace and law transitive property, maybe maybe I shouldn't use that as an example, but. I mean, Chelsea's only got a plus four uh, goal differential. So I you think take that- at the end of the season, we are going to look back and actually acknowledge the fact that the month of September was a complete weird aberration. Yeah, I mean, it's bizarre for everybody, but it, I just, as great as a Chelsea offense is, that defense isn't just, it's just not good. It's just not good. So like what Polly's saying, play to our strengths and take advantage of that defense. Because I think if you had to put our defense up against their defense and like, 
who's going to tighten up and who's actually going to get the result. I, you know, not trying to sound like a homer, but I do believe in the team that we have as far as the defense is concerned. It's been weird this this uh, this past month, like Polly said, but you know, this is the same team that played so well last year on defense. So that's also why I say like, don't you know play Shaw over Tellez because play to our strength. You know, you're not you're not getting 90 minutes of Cavani. So um, play you you bring in Shaw like you know if you're bringing in Tellez to boom in crosses to players that aren't good with their head. You know, that's not good. Like, I think 70 minutes, over 70 minutes, if you have set pieces, like Bruno Fernandez is good enough. Yeah. Uh, and then if you need a goal late and you bring on Cavani, you 100% bring on Tellez. And then, you know, if you get a corner or a set piece there and you, you have the ability to push Pogba and Maguire and Cavani up, like, you're very dangerous. But you're not getting you're not getting 90 minutes out of Cavani. So, like, the you know, Tellez, you have to be like, sorry, dude, it, it, not it, not yet. You know, the same way that Donny van de Beek hasn't started a legitimate game yet, you look at Tellez and be like, you know, your time will come, but this isn't, it's not today. Yeah. Um, another factor maybe that's worth mentioning as well with the weird aberration that was September and Manchester United start to the season. And we haven't fully recovered either, so maybe it's too early to mention this, but, you know, Hassan Hodel is and Southampton is you know, evidence of this, sometimes getting your ass kicked, you know, turn something on. Exactly. And losing 6-1 and having to marinate in that for the two weeks of the international break and everything else that's going on. I mean, you have to think that the professionals on this team are at least somewhat motivated by that, especially the defense have looked a lot more organized and focused these last couple of games. Yeah, so, if, you, if you look but, at a glass ha- half full, I mean... If this team lost 6-1 to Tottenham and then came out and immediately laid an egg in their first game back, that's when you're like, uh-oh, they're not playing for Solskjaer anymore. But I, I don't think that there's, you know, anything that would point towards those signs at this point. I I think everyone was just like, yo, we got kicked in the mouth and that really sucked. Let's tighten it up. And you know? and that's where we go back to the mental fortitude of this team. I mean, yeah, there were plenty of people saying, like, we weren't playing for Solskjaer anymore, and that's been completely disproven over the last two games. But the mental fortitude of this team is a minute and a half into the game against Newcastle, everything comically goes wrong to the point that Luke Shaw just gets the unluckiest own goal ever. And, like, that could have been a catalyst for heads dropping, and things could have gone off the rails from there. And they just, they didn't let it affect them. They they said, well, unlucky, let's let's get it back. Even last season, you know, if, if that would have happened, you, that's not necessarily something we'd recover from. But in the look Newcastle up, games I mean, last, happened, last year, it happened last. It, yeah. Look at, look at, um, yeah. not even the Matty Longstaff, because that was like in the, you know, we never got into that game. Look at David de Gea kicking a ball off of Dominic Calvert Lewin's ankle, and it goes back in the net for a very fluke goal. Oh, I was, I was never, talking about the other Newcastle. I know, but like, but, but I'm just saying, like last year, like we never got into that game. After that, yeah. we went one nil down 30 seconds of the game. We never got into that game. It was the worst the performance of the season. But game. in terms of following up those performances, though, is I guess is kind of what I was trying to get at. When you make those freak errors and you lose games badly like that, even in that period where we had everyone injured at once and, you know, either Rashford or Martial weren't fit at the same time, we were having to rely on prayer and Lingard constantly we didn't find a good form or like get on a good win streak in that time, but we also didn't 
go on losing streaks either. It was just very inconsistent. This was a team that was still, you know, finding ways to get points. It wasn't, but like, it wasn't even that. It was like, we weren't getting beat. We were dropping points. Like that new, that West Ham game, we had, we missed several sitters. Like the West Ham game, like the XG was like way in our favor. Uh, Bournemouth, the same thing. Like um, you look at the draw, like the first draw, the home draw against Everton, we gave them nothing. They scored a fluke goal, and, like, we didn't take chances. Um, there's There was another draw in there, like, very similar. Like, you know, uh, even before that, before the injuries happened, the Wolves game. Like, we had chances. They hit a worldie. And that's part of the, the maturation. Like, that was one of my things was, like I said, when Bruno arrived, and, you know, we had that run of, like, 16 games in a row – where we hadn't lost and we had scored like 30 something goals and conceded three goals. And I said, yeah, but here's the problem with that. What were the, what was the score of the games and the three goals where we conceded game, the three games where we conceded a goal, one, 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 like, you know, that, that mental thing hadn't been unblocked yet. When we conceded a goal, we, we weren't getting over that. So, it, so to see that happen against Newcastle and against PSG and not only that, but late, it's that's so exciting to take, but like there were, there were things that disappointed me in that PSG game, mainly the fact that like we were way the better team and like almost left that game on the, on the, on the field. But there's so much to be excited about, like Alex Tellez and his delivery, like, all right, that doesn't mean you throw him right out there against Chelsea. Cause that's not going to work. I don't think, but like, there's a lot to be excited about for how we can use it this season. And when we have the players, the right players for that style. So I guess kind of wrapping up this episode um, and looking ahead at this schedule um, over the next seven days, you know, inclu- or from the Chelsea match, we've got Chelsea, RB Leipzig, and then Arsenal. Um, but after that, we've got Istanbul, Everton, West Brom, Istanbul again, and Southampton. Do you think that this is a period where you're more worried about these big games or you're potentially more worried about the games that follow where Manchester United could potentially build up themselves and then stumble in these smaller games again? Well, the advantage United has going into this next stretch of three games um, is they're all going to be at home. So they don't necessarily have to worry about the, you know, added. Fun fact, we're terrible at home. Fun fact. Yeah, uh, Ollie just breaking the record for 10 straight away wins. Right. And it's gone completely under the radar because the last time we played in Paris was a record ninth straightaway win, and this time was 10. It's gone under the radar because last time we won at the Emirates, we won at Stanford Bridge. This time we've won three times at Brighton and one time at Luton Town. Um, but, yeah, fun fact, like, we're very good away from home right now, not so good at Old Trafford. Well, if there's ever a reason to find our form at home again, um, it would be right now. It seems like a good idea to do that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're hosting Chelsea or hosting a team from Germany or hosting Arsenal, I mean, these teams do have to travel. Uh, maybe this is the opportunity to take advantage of that. Um, and then potentially going into that 11, you know, that November 4th game at uh, Basaksha here, all of a sudden that's like quite a bit of distance that we're going to have to travel. Um I mean, I I don't follow Turkish football, so I couldn't tell you how good Basaksha here is uh, to start There's off the season. Of, they've got a lot of uh, like still cashing checks, all stars, 
Right. I'm, I'm, Got, I'm more guys who haven't made about, it to the MLS yet, but probably should have. Right. <laughs> I think I'm more worried about whether or not Istanbul is going to let fans into the stadium than what the quality of the opponent are. is. I don't think they are. Uh, the key, though, like, is for Istanbul to actually, like, get points because you run the risk. Like, when you have a group like this in the Champions League, you run the risk of three teams just beating the hell out of that, that other team. And then, you know, you have one team that finishes with 10 or 11 points and doesn't go through because, you know, everybody got six points. Everybody started out with six points by beating the other team. So, like, you, you need Istanbul to, like, nick a point here and there against RB Leipzig and PSG. <laughs> a la Brown B in 1988 or 1998, 1999, the uh, punching bag of the Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Man United group. <laughs> yeah, basically that. Um, and there's always one group that has it, and unfortunately it's ours. So, like, it makes the games against Leipzig, like, it makes that game, that win against Paris huge now. Uh, but, like, those two games against Leipzig, like, if you, you, you basically have to win them both. Um, because if you can get six points there and, like, get six points you know, then you're, you're, you're fine. Or you you have to beat Leipzig at home. I do. The game that I am most worried about, um, is actually Arsenal. I, I think, was going to say that too. I think we, we do very well against Chelsea and I like, you could basically keep, uh, Arsenal like, has vibes right now. Roll out the other. They, they don't, they really, they don't create a lot. They're good defensively. They don't create a lot, but like, they're basically like us when we play the back three is they're just pulling results out of their ass. But is it sustainable? Um, well, they're, I think they are due for an ass-kicking because they haven't had one in some time. So, yeah. And City weren't able to do it because they kind of... I mean, Arsenal so they, didn't really control that game at all, but like, City didn't take also, the advantage either. Ask anybody what Pep's tactics were. And like, Even the tactic people that I follow on Twitter were like, I would love to ask one of the City players today, like, what was Pep's plan? Like, When Pep plays Arteta now, it's just the two of them overthinking things. And it becomes a mess. And it was like a boring-ass game because they're both just trying to prove that they're smarter than the other one. Um, I think we, we match up fine against Chelsea, and I would keep this 11 almost the same as what I just said. But then to go to RB Leipzig, like that's a good game to like bring in Matic, to bring in a Van de Beek, to bring in an Alex Tellez. Maybe you give Cavani a start. But like all of a sudden, those are, those are all players that can... You could see them starting Premier League games. And... RB Leipzig, like they've they've all got a point to prove. So like you know when when I go out there and I play really well against against Luton Town, it's yeah, but it's Luton Town. I'm like oh okay, that's a rotated Brighton side. But you go out there against RB Leipzig, like this is the difference between the Europa League and the Champions League. You 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 go out there in the Europa League, like you're not starting on Sunday. In the Champions League, you've got a legit chance now to stake your place for that Arsenal game. And then you pick your team based on that. And now you've got people left out. Like, I mean, Paul Pogba has played 44 minutes in the last two games. He's probably been his, his best 44 minutes of the season with the the other. Best created team. the most chances on the pitch against BSG. I mean, and then you look at when he came off the bench against Brighton. So, like, that message is loud. And, you know, we took Bruno off at halftime against Tottenham. And Bruno has come back and had his best two games of the season. And Pogba now knows, hey, I'm not an automatic starter here. You know, I could be dropped. It, it's not just my price tag. It's not just, well, Ollie, you know, managed me in the reserves and loves me and thinks, you know, wants to build. It's Ollie now who's sitting me down. So 
I could be dropped. Anybody could be dropped. So, yeah, you you have the ability to rotate the, the team a bit against against RB Leipzig. And suddenly you've got competition every year. Like every game when you put players out, there's an actual point to prove. I think by the end of last season, when we when we would do those, you know, put out the clear B squad against Norwich or against Lask, like the players knew it doesn't matter how good I play. Like, you know, Jesse Lingard was like on when we go to our next league game, Rashford's coming back in the team. And McTominay knew like Pog was coming back in the team. Matic is coming back in the team. Now it's, you you know, McTominay and Fred just started two games in a row. Like it's, it's open season for anybody. And I think that's going to go a long way right now. Van de Beek having the Henderson effect right now for Pogba. Yeah. Donnie Van de Beek is uh, like very good player, but like hard. He's, he's the backup. He's getting the backup quarterback vibes right now. (laughs) Good enough to kick somebody else in the ass to start playing better. And that's all we needed. Sometimes that is what you need as a team though. Um, Competition. Right. What do we what did we spend this podcast all last year complaining about? Was there was not enough competition at spots and, and like and also the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, play well, like, Tyler Adams at the six. God damn it! Said you know it's not you know it's not about the team's deeper than you think it is. But when you put the B squad out there, it's not deep. Um, but it's not about putting the B squad out there. It's it's when can you pluck uh, a McTominay in there? And give Matic a rest. When can you pluck a Fred in there and, and give players a rest? When can you pluck a Ling? Like, all of a sudden now your options are a bit better. But, like, if McTominay is going to play the way he did on Saturday and he did on Tuesday, like, then it's, well, when do you put Matic in there to give McTominay a rest? I mean, if McTominay is going to play like that, that is the leap that we talked about, like, when we said it's shit or get off the pot year for him. Like, he's shitting. And that's what we need him to do. <laughs> Clip it. <laughs> Perfect. He and you can watch him do that on the cock. <laughs> <laughs> on the peacock. So, like Steve Zissou said to Klaus in the movie The Life Aquatic, you might be on B-Squad, but you're the B-Squad team leader. The world just quote the movie The Life Aquatic. That is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Ooh. Worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Wait, hold up. I mean, are you a Wes Anderson fan, though, Polly? Uh, probably not, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not uh anyway i just so, watch the royal tenenbaums that movie fucking rules <laughs> all those movies rule wes anderson's great all right so real quick uh before we get out of here score predictions for chelsea i'm gonna go to two and no further explanation four nil fc that's the problem is like i oh my shtick is like i underestimate so i can be pleasantly surprised uh, so I'm going to predict that the game gets played. So since well, somebody called me you know what, Polly? Hope it shuts this game down. <laughs> I Polly in these times. <laughs> I do not have the Twitter following as, uh, as Polly, so I'm just going to say 4-0 FC. And uh, I don't know. Consider jumping in my mentions. They're pretty barren right now. They're just chilling. If, if we beat Chelsea 4-0 this weekend after this week, Man United Twitter is going to be unbearable. Talk about McTominay shitting. <laughs> just... It was, you know what? It was pretty bearable today because, like, there were like three thousand accounts that weren't tweeting. <laughs> I mean, if we if we beat Chelsea four 0 this weekend, then it's I I would put half probably all the money in my bank account on a three one loss to Arsenal. Yeah, I I the Arsenal game really scared. I mean, ugh. 
They the got. Problem, I'm telling you, they got vibes. The is the, first of all, let me just say this: like, if we did not win against Newcastle, like, let's say we draw and we lost last night, Ollie 100% would have gotten fired today, simply to bury the debt news. Yep. Like that, it would have. They raised the debt figures, but also like the only story is, well, we've sacked Ollie. <laughs> Instead, uh, our friend over at the Shirtless Plantain Show is tweeting out pictures of Pochettino and his PSG kit uh, in reference to Tuchel stories. So, <laughs> I mean, Poch could go to PSG. He's not going to last long there. Like you, what, all right, you won the French League, cool, but like you didn't. If you don't win the Champions League, then it's you, it's a failure. Uh, Tuchel's still there. To, uh, yeah, but apparently, like they want to fire, but like. Do us in the football ramble this morning. Like they signed on, and it was like uh, Vish was on it. So he's a United fan, yeah, and love Vish. He's just like, oh, I'm buzzing about this game. Like, and they're like, yeah, obviously, like we know Solskjaer is great at setting up his team for a game like this. Do you think this result, long term, bad result for United? And it's like, could, like, could we give it a break, guys? I mean, if you watched, uh, so I hate watch the ESPN FC clips uh, from last night too, and I mean. It was backhanded I'd rather, compliment I'd rather, after. I'd rather just listen to Sam Walkers. <laughs> dude, it's it was backhanded compliment after backhanded compliment. Like it, like Craig Burley through clenched teeth is like, Ollie did a good job setting up the team. <laughs> they once spent 20 minutes debating whether Wayne Rooney deserved an England testimonial or not. I mean, but testimonials in international football are rare. I will give them that. Uh, so is becoming your country's all-time top goal scorer. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think that'll do and, it for us. Uh, and breaking today. a Sir Bobby record too. And uh, those are were, were both Sir Bobby records, England yeah. and United. So, uh, yeah. heard he's pretty good that Sir Bobby Charlton. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that'll do it for us. And anyway, we each uh, shit ESPN FC. Yeah. Mark Ogden. Hopefully McTominay produces that shit for you. <laughs> He's going to produce it. <laughs> Just like this whole podcast. 2020-2021 Scott McTominay shit or get off the cock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've been calling. <laughs> off Vita Zayn. <laughs> uh.